Welcome to the Thriller Fiction Podcast. And now, here's your host, Jim Heskett. Hey, welcome back. Did you miss me? I missed you so much. I haven't spoken to you in a week. Uh, how you doing? You know, you can always let me know. Uh, you can always go to jimheskett.com forward slash contact and drop me a line. Let me know how you're doing. Also, if you're on my email list at uh, jimheskett.com forward slash reader group, not only do you uh, get free books and other stuff, but you can also, you know, you get access to me via email and you can say hi whenever you want. Also, though, I'm pretty good about responding on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash author Jim Heskett if you like and follow me there and then if you comment on a post, there's a pretty good chance I'll give you a reply, or if you message me there, I'll say hi. I'm not some highfalutin author who has six publicists and um, people you have to go through to get to me. You can usually, I'm pretty available. I pride myself on being available for the masses uh, out there to, to get in touch with me. Anyway, hey, so this is the Thriller Fiction Podcast, and we're on episode five of season five, technically episode five, but we're reading the fourth Lane Parish book. We're going to be talking about snake bite and reading the first chapter. And so I'm going to give you some behind the scenes action on this. Now I've said um, before that these books are standalone and they are, but there is character development that happens along, you know, and in, in, in the course of the books, Lane's getting a little bit older. His daughter is getting a little bit older. You're learning more about the squad. You're learning more about Lane and Harry Bukadakis and Serena Rojas and Daphne Kurek. You learn a little bit more about each person in each book. And, you know, some books, certain people are featured uh, more prominently than other books. Like, for example, in Omega Trap, Harry Bukadakis is barely in it. Um, in Shadow Soldiers is that same way. You know, in both of those books, Harry is on the other end of a phone for a, a few scenes or a couple scenes. Um, and, and then others like Snowblind and Snakebite, Harry Bukadakis is, is front and center in the plot. And in Snakebite, the book really revolves around Harry because it's a book about, and this isn't a spoiler because you find it out in the first chapter, Harry Bukadakis gets kidnapped. And like I talked uh, before, you know, a thriller trope is that the the, um, the stakes have to be personal for the hero. And so if um, in order for Lane to get involved, when Lane finds out that his friend has been kidnapped, you know, Harry Bukadakis has been kidnapped, um, you want to, uh, you really, I'm, I don't know what I'm talking about. Lane really decides that he needs to get involved and to go after Harry and make sure that he's okay. Also, the other thing that I've talked about, um, with regards to the, um, standaloneness and the, um, or another thing I've mentioned before is that I have a really hard time writing formulaic kinds of books that my books are all very unique and in the first three Lane Parish books, the interludes were all basically telling stories from Lane's past that informed about him as a person and about his role in Daphne Kurek's little nameless spy agency. And this, uh, and Snakebite is the first book in the series that does something different. In this one, the interlude has to do specifically with the current plot. And I liked that mechanism because basically the book shifts back and forth in time and you see 
the book from uh, uh, the current day where Lane is trying to accomplish a goal so he can get Harry Bukadakis um, out of captivity. And then the interlude has to do with an operation uh, a Lane and a, another a shadow agent went on a few years back that's directly related to the tasks that Lane has to undertake now. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry I'm being so vague, but I don't want to give out spoilers for the book so I'm just afraid I'm just gonna have to keep it in that sort of vague realm about um, what the interlude and what the main plot is related to another thing is that you know this has been a largely international uh, series so far and this is the first um, book in the series I'm pretty sure this is the first book in the series that takes place entirely within the United States the interludes all take place in a tiny little town in West Texas and the main story takes place in Sedona, Arizona. And there's a specific reason for why both of those things happen in those places. There are also um, places I've been. I've been to West Texas. I've been to Sedona. I was just there um, like a year and a half ago. My wife and I went there to hike on a little hiking excursion for her birthday. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, Sedona is lovely, as is a lot of Arizona. And we stopped by the Grand Canyon. We went hiking in a slot canyon on privately owned land that was just beautiful. And that slot canyon actually, or a facsimile of it, um, appears in a sequence of scenes in this book. Uh, and I don't want to give you too many spoilers, but the, the scenes reference how the book got its name of Snakebite. And that's a pretty big hint, but I don't want to give away too much more. Okay. So, I think that's probably all I need to say about it. This is also the first, um, actually, this is also the first book in the series where the, the first chapter isn't really, isn't from Lane's point of view. It follows a more standard thriller format where you either see the bad guy first or you see something that indicates, um, uh, gives you hints of what's, what's to come. So, this, this is chapter one in Snakebite. Harry Bukadakis gasped for air. Strong hands pushed him along what he assumed was a hallway. He had to assume because the bag over his head prevented him from seeing anything. One foot in front of the other, barely able to keep pace with the person or persons forcing him to some unknown destination. He'd been able to, he'd been able to gather a few pieces of intel about his current situation, though. They had snatched him last night right after leaving his weekly Dungeons & Dragons tabletop gaming session with Ethan and Danny. The last time he would see his friends for more than a week before embarking on his planned vacation. Harry had felt a pinch in his thigh walking out to his car, then a sudden and severe feeling of heat, flushed like pins and needles. His eyes rolled back in his head and he lost control. He remembered the sensation of his legs crumpling, then blackness. When he awoke, he'd been bound, gagged, and walking upstairs. Short stairs, eyes too blurry and head too foggy to make anything out. The thrum of airplane engines had filled his ears. That, left, that led to an involuntary trip on an airplane where he had been secured to a seat the entire time. Hard to say how long exactly. Maybe four hours? The bag had been over his head for the duration, even when they had escorted him to the bathroom mid-flight. Four hours was enough travel time from Virginia to arrive at any number of destinations. When he deboarded the plane, though, he had a better sense of location. The dry air told him desert, possibly New Mexico, Arizona, maybe Utah. 
and then a far-off voice from a loudspeaker told him he was in Sedona. As soon as the loudspeaker had sounded, they ushered him along faster. He wasn't supposed to know. Then a forced ride in a car and now shuffling along a hallway. Until this point, his captors had not said a single word to him. They pushed him to his right and then turned him around. Rough hands shoved him down and Harry felt the hard wood of a chair connect with his butt. A splash of pain worked up his back. The bag whipped off. His eyes slammed shut from the sudden appearance of light. In a couple of seconds, he creaked them open, slowly letting them adjust. Chest heaving, feeling the weight of his belly push against his arms, still restrained. Good morning, Harry, said a musical male voice. He blinked a few more times until he could open his eyes all the way. He found himself in a bedroom, a single bed, queen size, with metal piping for a headboard. Nightstands on either side, no clock or lamps. A small bathroom in, the, in a side room near the bed. There was a dresser in the chair he was sitting in and a single piece of art on the walls. A framed print of a sun setting between two red rock spires. His hands were cuffed together. Red welts covered his wrists. He didn't remember trying to resist and pull free from the cuffs, but he had, apparently. How was your trip? said the man. There were two of them. One, younger than Harry, maybe mid-thirties. He stood back near the door, tall, white, a wiry frame with jet-black hair and emerald eyes. A wicked sunburn had turned his light skin pink. Cheeks gaunt and hints of faded acne scars gave him dozens of pox like dimples. His arms were crossed in front of him, a deep scowl on his face. Harry assumed this was the one who had brought him here. The other, the speaking man, was older, fifties probably, a sharp black suit on his average build. Gray and thinning hair sat atop a wrinkly face with patchy stubble poking through. Huge hands, though. Too big for his body. This man had kind brown eyes and a warm smile. He also held a copy of the New York Times in his hands, rolling it into a tube. He was using those large hands to twist the paper tighter and tighter. Harry listened to it crinkle as he tried to catch his breath. My trip? Harry asked, and his throat burned. Something in that syringe they'd used to knock him out still lingered in his system. The room veered back and forth and his stomach gurgled, like the effect of taking a little too much cough medicine. I know you had other plans for the day, the man said, but we don't always get what we want, do we? The man had a certain vocal affectation like a regal sort of mid-Atlantic accent, not quite British and not quite American either. Harry hadn't heard anyone speak like that since the movies he'd watched as a kid. What's happening to me? The man kept twisting his newspaper tighter and tighter. The smile on his face seemed tempered by his jaw, which suggested his teeth were clenched. I hope Cornelius wasn't too rough with you. He does great work, but sometimes he can be a bit of a brute. The man standing beside the door deepened his scowl, but he said nothing. My name is Ronald, the smiling man said. I'm sorry that it had to come to this, Harry, but desperate times, you know? And we find things get even more desperate as the clock runs out, because that's the way it always is. Harry tried to keep his breaths even and calm, but it wasn't working. The fact that his captors had said their names didn't bode well. If they'd intended to let Harry walk out of here alive, they wouldn't have shown their faces either. When this fully dawned on him, he had to close his eyes to keep the room from spinning. Harry, you look upset. He pushed out a few deep, deliberate breaths, and the room stopped moving. When he opened his eyes again, his captor was still smiling. Ronald reached inside his jacket pocket, then he frowned. 
He turned to the muscle standing by the door. Corn, do you have them? Cornelius pulled a couple of Polaroid pictures from his back pocket and passed them to Ronald. Ronald sighed. Ah, that's right. We thought we might need these last night, but you were easier to bag than we had expected. You can never be too sure how this will go. It's a bit like one of those games you play at summer camp, you know, when you have the egg on a spoon and you're racing to carry the egg to the other side of the field. Hurry up, but be careful. He turned to his partner again. Corn, would you mind? This might be a little unpleasant. Corn crossed the room and drew another set of handcuffs from his pocket. He latched one around Harry's ankle and attached it to the chair. It tightened until Harry could feel the metal cutting into his flesh. Now, Ronald said, he placed one of the Polaroids on the bed next to Harry face up. Harry's heart thumped against his chest when he saw the picture. A photo of his wife, taken from outside through the kitchen window. She was standing at the sink, sleeves rolled up, scrubbing lasagna from a plate. Complete lack of awareness on her face, she had no idea she was being photographed. This picture must have been taken two days ago. That's when they'd had the lasagna. Harry could see the blurry hint of branches in the foreground. Someone had been in his backyard, perched in his spruce pine tree. Ronald hoisted the other Polaroid facing away from Harry. You know what's on this one? Ronald asked. Harry shook his head. Please don't. Ronald turned the picture around. Harry's son, sitting on the couch, a video game controller in his hand, eyes glued to the television. Harry could even see the reflection of the person taking the picture in the French door window. Harry felt ill. He thought he might throw up. Nausea in his stomach swirled and his head felt light. He closed his eyes for a ten count to calm himself, but it didn't seem to do any good. Ronald set the photograph on the bed next to the one of his wife. Harry didn't know what to say. He gritted his teeth, trying to keep himself from passing out. Ronald cleared his throat and again dug a hand into his jacket pocket. This time, he found what he was looking for, apparently. He drew a small piece of paper and unfolded it. Those large hands set the paper in Harry's lap. From the side, Corn approached, cell phone out. Control, Ronald said. Isn't that what you call Daphne Keurig, like in that old book? Harry hesitated, then he nodded. There was no point in trying to deceive this man. He knew everything already. Yes. Good, Ronald said. We're making progress. Harry realized his jaw was clenched so tightly the pain had radiated down into his neck. We're going to call your boss, and you will do, you will read what is on this little piece of paper. I don't expect it to work forever, but it should buy me a day or two at least. Enough time to wrap up another project before we give you our full attention. Ronald leaned forward and gave, and a grave look crossed his face. The newspaper in his hands creaked as he tightened the tube. You are going to read exactly what's on that page. If you deviate or add in strange pauses, I will know. If you try to pass across a message some other way, I will know. And if you do, he let the words hang in the air as he glanced down at the Polaroid sitting on the bed. Do you understand? Harry gulped, but he nodded. His ears buzzed. Corn stood next to him and placed the phone up against his ear. It rang, and a few seconds later, Daphne's voicemail picked up. Woohoo! All right, so that is chapter one of Snakebite, the fourth book in the Lane Parish series. 
And um, there's a little bit of trivia there that I had completely forgotten about when uh, um, Harry talks about playing Dungeons and Dragons with Ethan and Danny. That's a little Easter egg because um, at least both of those characters, I'm pretty sure both of them have appeared as as little cameo one shots in other Lane Parish books. I'm not going to tell you which ones. I'm not going to tell you when. But uh, so there, there's a deep cut Easter egg if you. Um, if you want to go look through the Lane Parish books to find where Ethan and Danny have made an appearance. I know they're mentioned in Shadow Soldiers. The first time we meet Harry, he talks about playing Dungeons and Dragons with Ethan and Danny. Anyway, so that's it for me. And I'm going to see you uh, next week for the uh, the next, the penultimate episode of this season where we talk about knife point the fifth book in the lane Paris series thanks for tuning in i hope you'll rate and review the show and i hope you'll check out our sister podcast which is called your favorite thriller conversations with thriller authors about their favorite thriller books i think that's a um i think i think you if you like this show i think you would really dig that thriller authors talking about their favorite thrillers and why they like them so much anyway that's it for me i hope you have a wonderful day That's it for this episode of the Thriller Fiction Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and visit jimheskett.com for more info and free thriller books.